Matt Kelly keeping the Roto Underworld Radio audience on its toes with an intro change-up. New intro music. Trying some new things. Once in a while, we'll start a show with thematic intro music. Now, the theme of this show is deep Dynasty League stashes. So if you don't participate in Dynasty Leagues, we will be talking about Brandon Cooks. We will be talking about Jamison Crowder. We will be talking about Corey Davis. We will be talking about Joe Mixon. So there's something for everyone on this show, but in particular, deep Dynasty League stashes because we will have on my podcast nemesis, Matthew Friedman. Follow him at Matt F. The Oracle on Twitter from Fantasy Labs. The most interesting shows that I do are with Matt Friedman. They're interesting on multiple levels. The information is interesting. I mean, this is an infogasm show. Look down at your iTunes app. See how much time is remaining in the show. And it's efficiently constructed to maximize the number of players that we can talk about. In particular, players most people are not talking about. And in talking with Matthew Friedman, I was stunned at the players he wanted to discuss, players he thought could be relevant in 2017. They're players that people have either never heard of or want to forget. So that's what this show is about. I considered starting the show with Billy Idol's Eyes Without a Face, because that's how I view a lot of the players that Matthew Friedman and I are going to talk about today. The problem is that song does not hold up. Oh, I sampled it, and it is terrible. If there was a song that does not hold up 30 years later, it's Eyes Without a Face. Oh, God. Melody's horrible. Lyrics are horrible. Just the whole construct of the song is unlistenable, really. So I thought, okay, we won't play music that aligns with the players that we'll be talking about. We'll play music that aligns with the feelings of some of the audience, because many of you who listened to the last show wanted to run away so i chose iran from flock of seagulls from a similar time frame but unlike eyes without a face iran absolutely holds up very few songs from the 80s hold up as well as iran some of you listened to the last show about colin kaepernick and you wanted to run away even though i warned you before the show started i warned you this is a depth perspective very little fantasy football talk on this show. If that's why you're here and that's the only reason you're here, just turn it off. It's very simple on your app. Just turn it off. It's a button. You don't need to listen to it. And I'm paying no mind to your complaints on Twitter. I need to stay focused because I am wrapping up the Roto Underworld Listener League for patrons only. We are going to launch three patron-only dynasty startups this year. One draft is in the books. That league will be hosted on MyFantasyLeague.com. The second league will be hosted on Reality Sports Online. And I just decided to launch a third league also on Reality Sports Online, and here's why. Because I love Reality Sports Online. Reality Sports Online is different than My Fantasy League in that while both platforms are sophisticated, they allow you to manage deep rosters and mimic the experience of being an NFL general manager. Reality Sports Online does it better than anyone. Reality Sports Online also does not saddle the commissioner with excruciatingly complex settings. I'm done being a commissioner on my fantasy league. I'm not going to do it anymore. I won't do it. We're in this listener league startup, and Colin Kaepernick's not available. It's apropos. We were just talking about him, and of course, he wasn't available in the draft room because there's some setting 
where you needed to know to go turn it on in some random location, one of 30 locations in the settings. And I don't have the time, the inclination, or the patience to go through every section of the settings and figure out what each one means. And so my fantasy league has default settings, and some of them are illogical. Why would you turn off free agents being available in the draft room? That doesn't make any sense. The default setting should be on, and if for whatever reason someone wants to turn off free agents, they can. But my fantasy league has run off into the extremes and created settings for every type of fantasy league configuration known to man. It's over-engineered. It's too complicated. It's great as an owner. If you just want to play fantasy football on my fantasy league, I highly recommend it. I love it. As just a fantasy gamer, I love it. As a commissioner, it's a living hell. And I'm not going to do it. I'm never going to start another fantasy league on myfantasyleague.com. It's just excruciating. So from now on, the listener leagues for patrons only for Roto Underworld Radio are going to be hosted on Reality Sports Online. Reality Sports Online has the sophistication without the complexity. That's why I love it. And if you want to join a listener league of ours, you do two things. Number one, you go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Search Podfather and become a patron of the show. Join the community. Lots of conversations happening on Patreon. If you want to connect with other members of this audience and include me in the discussion, get signed up on Patreon. If you want access to our patron-only shows that I host on Monday, where I go completely berserk, you thought the Tuesday show about Colin Kaepernick was intense? Well, you need to tune in to the backstage pass shows on Mondays if you want to see real intensity. That was nothing. And patrons also receive a Roto Underworld hoodie or t-shirt. So it's an incredible deal. And if you enjoy the show, if you think the show has value, then you're obligated to send value back in return. It's a two-way exchange. Patreon allows for this two-way exchange. So please go to patreon.com and support the Podfather. Yes, referring to myself in the third person as the Podfather, it feels so good. And then you will be eligible to join one of our listener leagues on Reality Sports Online, the best platform for playing Dynasty League football for both the team owners and the commissioner. At Reality Sports Online, they know commissioners are people too. And the second step is sending me an email, rotounderworld at gmail.com, why you're better than an NFL GM. Why if you were hired by an NFL franchise to be the general manager that you would be above replacement? Why would you be better than Ted Thompson? Why would you be better than Dave Gettleman? That's not hard to do, by the way. Dave Gettleman's a low bar. Ted Thompson's a much lower bar than people think as well. So why would you be better than those guys? Email us. And we're going to announce two more submissions that have gained entry into the second patron-only Dynasty startup. Daryl Gouliat and Dan Bosak. You guys are in. And the last league member will be announced on next week's show. Thank you to Reality Sports Online for supporting the underworld. They will be providing all the prizes for the second patron-only league. And even if you don't make it into a listener league, this is where you should be setting up your dynasty leagues. So go to Reality Sports Online, set up a league, and when you do, enter the promo code UNDERWORLD. And I recommend setting up a very deep league. The startup we just completed, we drafted 27 players. And by the time you get to player 27, you're digging deep. And again, I'm drafting against 11 other fantasy gamers 
that have access to my rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. And they listen to the show so they know the players I like more than others. They know that I am more bullish on Cameron Meredith than Kevin White. They know that. So Cameron Meredith's drafted before Kevin White in a Roto Underworld Listener League. Obviously. 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 Come on. But I was surprised at how few times, so few occasions, that I was sniped in this draft. I just never felt sniped. When a player was drafted a few picks ahead of me and he was number one on my queue, I wasn't really expecting to get him anyway. I assumed he would be drafted earlier and it made perfect sense that that particular player would be drafted before my pick came back around. I was fine with it. Didn't feel sniped at all. There were a handful of occasions where I felt like I was going to reach for a player, but another member of the audience also had the same idea and reached before I could for that player. That's what sniping is. If a player is falling in the draft and he doesn't make it to you, that's not being sniped. A lot of people don't know what the hell sniping means. Sniping means someone reached for a player before you could, went off the board before his ADP slot. That's what sniping is. And once you get into round 20, 21, 22, 23, you're really digging deep. And some of the players we're going to talk about on the show were brought to the forefront during this draft as I was researching the depth charts. So go to playerprofiler.com, go to the menu bar at the top and click on depth charts. It's playerprofiler.com forward slash depth dash charts. This is a very important section of the website. This is the most important, least utilized section of the website. One of our contributors, Craig Wambold, does a great job updating the depth charts every single day to ensure that we're on top of free agent moves. And once training camp starts, depth chart movement. In my opinion, our depth charts are the best in the business and you should be visiting them more often. In fact, when you're on a player page, you can click on the team name and it will take you to that team's depth chart. Some life hacks on the Roto Underworld program today. And we had a recent signing that I think will impact one of the league's high-octane offenses. The Indianapolis Colts signed Kamar Aiken. And I am legitimately excited about this Kamar Aiken signing because Kamar Aiken has a 106.3, 85th percentile height-adjusted speed score. He looks the part of an ex-receiver. He also has a productive year on his resume, 12.3 fantasy points per game, was top 32 in the NFL in 2015. So why not Kamar Aiken? That year, he had 74 receptions for 934 yards. That's a hell of a lot more productive than Philip Dorsett has ever been. Kamar Aiken's profile looks a lot more similar to Dante Moncrief's than most people may initially believe. And Dante Moncrief does not have a 900-yard season on his resume. Dante Moncrief so far has maxed out at 733 receiving yards. That's 200 less than Kamar Aiken's max. Dante Moncrief, great height-adjusted speed score, one of the league's worst agility scores at the wide receiver position. Same is true for Kamar Aiken. Kamar Aiken, good but not great college dominator, but a very early breakout age, 18.3, 98th percentile. So Kamar Aiken was a precocious wide receiver prospect, as was Dante Moncrief. And like Dante Moncrief, Kamar Aiken never established true dominance on the football field at the college level either. 
Yet Dante Moncrief is being drafted in the very early rounds of Dynasty Startups, and Kamar Aiken lasts at least until round 20. And that doesn't make sense because I believe that Kamar Aiken will be on the field a lot in 2017 for a Colts offense that threw the ball a lot last year. Colts were top 10 in the NFL in total pass plays. And they will be again this year because the Colts do not have a strong running game. Didn't in 2014. Didn't in 2015. Didn't in 2016. Won't in 2017. So we will see high pass volume in Indianapolis per norm. Andrew Luck can support three fantasy viable wide receivers. He's one of the few quarterbacks in the NFL that can do that. And that makes Kamar Aiken very interesting because Kamar Aiken was betrayed by his coaches last season. And Kevin Cole from Rotoviz came on the show and told us this would happen. He said, listen, the Baltimore Ravens play their veterans. They're going to play Mike Wallace. They're going to play Steve Smith. Like it or not. You like Brashad Perriman. You like Michael Campanaro. You like Kamar Aiken. Too bad. They're not going to see full-time snaps. And Joe Flacco cannot support more than two fantasy viable wide receivers. That's just who Joe Flacco is. So forget your Michael Campanaro dreams. Forget Brashad Perriman. Forget Kamar Aiken. And he was right. But times have changed for Kamar Aiken. He's now in Indianapolis where all he needs to do is supplant Philip Dorsett, who looks like a first-round bust so far through two seasons, and he will receive regular snaps receiving passes from Andrew Luck. What's not to like about this scenario? So I believe Kamar Aiken will win the number three wide receiver job for the Indianapolis Colts coming out of training camp, and he has a chance to supplant Dante Moncrief if Dante Moncrief simply does not fire in year four. I mean, this is the make-or-break season for Dante Moncrief. We need to see it, Dante. You can't just score touchdowns. You have to command targets and secure receptions consistently game to game if you truly want to break out. Now, Kamar Aiken actually did that in the second half of 2015. Dante Moncrief has never actually done that. Here are Kamar Aiken's targets in the second half of 2015. 14, 8, 10, 11, 7, 11, 8, 13. At a minimum, he was commanding seven targets a game, often double digits. Dante Moncrief has never done that for even a half of a season. So as of right now, as of this moment, I believe that Kamar Aiken is the best value late round wide receiver in all of fantasy. Redraft, dynasty, all formats. And in thinking about Kamar Aiken, I just became very interested in the numerous unheralded wide receivers around the league because in dynasty leagues, we advocate for zero wide receiver, robust RB. And if you implement that strategy, you have to load your team up with late round wide receivers. So you're drafting tight ends and quarterbacks and running backs in those early rounds. And then in the second half of the draft, you're just hammered down on the wide receivers. I believe that's the draft concept that will maximize your opportunity for success in both the short term and the long term in Dynasty Leagues. We'll ask Matthew Friedman about this. Does he agree? And we'll ask Matthew Friedman to share some of his underappreciated wide receivers that could be fantasy viable in 2017. We don't need a wide receiver one. The whole draft concept is predicated on securing numerous wide receiver twos and wide receiver threes in fantasy because you can win your league with some quality wide receiver twos and wide receiver threes as long as you have studs that give you a competitive advantage at the other positions, most importantly, running back in dynasty, of course, not redraft. These underappreciated wide receivers include Brandon LaFell, Mohamed Sanu, Taylor Gabriel, 
Ted Ginn, the eyes without a face wide receivers, the nameless, faceless Kamar Akins of the NFL that can help us win fantasy championships. And my sense is that Matthew Friedman has some names that I hadn't even considered. Follow him at Matt F. The Oracle on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. Matthew Friedman, my podcast nemesis from Fantasy Labs. Matt, talk to me. I wouldn't say I'm your podcast nemesis. I'd say like I'm like like the bizarro version of Jesus you. Jesus Christ. You're already being disagreeable. Already. We are 15 seconds into the podcast, and you're already being disagreeable. See, I, I disagree. I wouldn't say I was being disagreeable. I was just being, you know, a, a little talkative. It was just chit-chat. <laughs> we can't do a show this way. You understand this? This is just going to – we're going to spin round and round. <laughs> we're going to be in this meta-cyclone and never actually talk about NFL players. I am a better podcast host than I was the first time we talked, than the second time we talked, than the third time we talked. I have control. I can pull up out of these tailspins that we get caught in. I'm going to pull up right now. The reason I love talking to you is because I was listening to two analysts lament the lack of quality football analysis in mainstream sports coverage. And the reason why is because football is a very complicated sport and it can't be distilled down to just you know whip and OPS. It can't be just, oh, you're per or your true shooting percenters. There's not just one or two metrics that you can use to decide, is this player good or is this player bad? Football's more complicated. That's why advanced metrics have been slow to be adopted by mainstream sports analysts in football, slower than in basketball, certainly much slower than in baseball. So it lends itself to the specialist, the person that specializes just in football. We end up being much more competent than the sports gas bag generalist, especially when they try to talk about football. Ugh. We can at least speak to it competently because we only focus on football. It's so complicated that it requires this level of specialty. And within fantasy football, there's even another layer of specialty in that you have specialists within football. Are you a DFS specialist? Are you a redraft specialist? Are you a dynasty specialist? And one of the reasons why I love having you on is because you and I are generalists within the field of football analysis. We can talk about dynasty. We can talk about DFS. We can talk about redraft. So that's one of the great pleasures of having you on. Maybe the better way to say it is that I'm equally incompetent across all areas that have to do with NFL. And that's something I kind of pride myself on. <laughs> you're so much more likable when you're self-deprecating than when you're being disagreeable. You know that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know that. So let's just dive right in. So one of the things that you're good at is analyzing draft prospects. So this rookie class is interesting. I think that's the best way to describe it at the moment. It's just interesting. It's hard to encapsulate. It's just interesting. And so we'll start at the top, the wide receiver position, Corey Davis, Mike Williams, who you got? I, I want Curtis Samuel. What? Like, I know that might be like a hot take or something. And and I know like the like the rotovisor in me should be all up on Corey Davis. And I, I do like him. And, you know, like Mike Williams is interesting, but Curtis Samuel is actually the most intriguing player in the draft to me. 
like I, I know people maybe like poo poo like Percy Harvin or something, but at one point that guy was like a top five fantasy wide receiver in the league. You know, like he had a very good stretch. And I like players like that, like that type of profile, that guy who's he's a little bit smaller, but super athletic, very versatile. Those wide receivers actually do not fail all that often in the NFL. So he's a guy I'm really interested in, especially because I don't think he's going to take the draft capital that someone like Corey Davis or Mike Williams is going to take. Oh, he's my guy in the second round, Curtis Samuel, because what do you do in the second round? You chase the athleticism. More than that, though, you chase the great athletes from the great programs because their production is diminished because they have to compete for touches with a lot of other very talented collegiate players. So this was the Michael Thomas corollary from last year. He wasn't a producer. Even his dominator rating wasn't particularly impressive Why? Because he's on Ohio State competing for touches with Curtis Samuel and a lot of other five-star recruits. So a Curtis Samuel or an O.J. Howard, these are players that are going to have diminished production profiles. But when they go to the combine, it's no surprise. Oh, wow. Tremendous size adjusted athlete. And when you look at the comps on Curtis Samuel, what do you see? Randall Cobb. Yeah, he's that type of player. Percy Harvin just hit 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 the cops on Curtis Samuel are across the board hits at some level you have at least one fantasy valuable season from Percy Harvin it's really incredible it's funny how Curtis Samuel was not a big time producer at Ohio State because he was competing with so many other players for touches and while his profile doesn't necessarily look any more impressive than say Zay Jones's profile the production aside just looking at athleticism Zay Jones very athletic Curtis Samuel very athletic Zay Jones much more productive particularly when you look at the counting stats not just the dominator But it's interesting how the comps for Zay Jones are Trey McBride and Nate Burleson. The comps for Curtis Samuel are much more impressive. Yeah, the the real distinction is in the rushing production. And I know that might not seem highly relevant to guys who are supposed to catch the ball in the NFL, but it is relevant. Like there are guys who were producers as runners in college who ended up transitioning to the wide receiver position or it's just like establishing themselves as wide receivers. You see it pretty frequently, like a guy like Antonio Brown, like he was productive each year as a runner in college. Like this is not like something that should be discounted. It doesn't count as much as receiving production, but it is there. So in the sum, you look at someone who had like 1600 yards of production from scrimmage and like a touchdown per game. Like that counts. That's that's someone who's pretty impressive. So you already are ruining the show in a subtle way in that you're not answering my questions. You're just doing what Donald Trump does, which is you take the question and then you just say whatever you want to say. The question has no bearing on the point that you want to make at any particular moment in an interview. The question was, Corey Davis or Mike Williams? It wasn't, give us the contrarian opinion of the day that Curtis Samuel is the best player in this class. That's not what we were asking. It was Mike Williams or Corey Davis. Here's the thing. One, I'm I'm here to make this podcast great again. But then two... On on the outline that you sent me, it specifically said best rookie wide receiver, Corey Davis or Mike Williams or other. 
So I went the route of others. So it's not my fault that you didn't ask the question correctly. <laughs> Your honor. <laughs> He has a point. I'm looking at the show sheet. It says Corey Davis or Mike Williams or other. I have been defeated again. You stepped into your own bear trap. <laughs> it's just, just. <laughs> Start the show. Owen one defeated in a yet another debate with Matthew Friedman. So just tell us that you think Mike Williams is probably going to bust because we all know that we sense it. Even those that aren't analytics focused like we are and understand things like college dominator and breakout age, they sense that Mike Williams, it just feels like the energy he emits feels busty. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be anything exceptional about him other than the fact that NFL people seem to think he's exceptional. That's like, that's about it. Like there's nothing really special about his metrics. Those were special catches that he had. <laughs> right. He made some very special catches on primetime television, Matthew. Yeah. He feels like a kind of smaller version of Kelvin Benjamin. Like there was nothing really particularly special about Kelvin Benjamin, except for his size. Um, he wasn't really even all that great of an athlete, although for his size, he was okay. But like, that's what Mike Williams kind of feels like a guy that people say is a first rounder. And that's just kind of it because he scored touchdowns on a national championship broadcast. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, that's not rational. Mike Williams does not look like a first round pick. Serious question. Are there any true first round caliber skill position players in this entire draft class? Yeah, I think so. So I already said Curtis Samuel. I think he's a first-round caliber. You think Curtis Samuel is a first-round pick? I I do. I know that that sounds really <laughs> off, but I like like in in the twenties. Like I think he goes there. Like I I think he deserves to be taken. Like in the twenties. Like that's sort of like the Percy Harvin range. Honestly, I, I think he's I think he's worth it. You're being serious. I I'm I'm being serious. This isn't like an Andy Kaufman elaborate ruse on an interview host. No, like like look at how athletic he is. Look at the production he had in college and then look at the guys he's similar to and then look at what they've done in the NFL and where they were drafted. Like I'm not saying he deserves to be taken in the top 15 picks, but like I think around like pick 22 to like 28 or something like that. Like okay, for instance, he runs a 4-3-1. He runs a four three one. <laughs> like if the Patriots hadn't just <laughs> traded for Brandon Cooks, like he seems like the type of guy that they'd be like, yeah, if he's there at the bottom of the first round, we're drafting him. But Oof, that would be cool. Other than Curtis Samuel, yeah, I think the clear guy who probably deserves a first round grade is Joe Mixon. Like I, other than you know, obviously the horrible off the field things. But if we're looking at just like talent, like just ability, I think it's clearly Joe Mixon. I I see the case for Leonard Fournette is like a fringe first rounder, but Joe Mixon, I think, is clearly above him. So the two players that you believe actually deserve first round grades are Curtis Samuel and Joe Mixon. God, those are great answers. I love one of them for its pure contrarianism. And I love the other one for its pure accuracy because Joe Mixon is by far and away the best running back talent in this draft. And you could argue the best skill position player in this draft, independent of all the positions, better than any of the quarterbacks, better than any of the tight ends, the wide receivers. In his first year with very limited snaps, 
28 catches at over 200 pounds, then 37 catches for 538 receiving yards, five receiving touchdowns, while also posting over 1,200 yards on a mere 187 carries. So this is the size-adjusted athlete that we're always looking for, and then he was also an incredibly productive player who would have been potentially the most productive running back had he not been sharing a backfield with another quality player, Samaj P. Ryan. Yeah, he's like Le'Veon Light. Like he's young. That's, I think, something that people are really kind of forgetting is how unbelievably young he is. But again, as you mentioned it, he's big, he's athletic, he was productive both as a runner and a receiver. Like he's he's like he's like the devil with the blue dress on. Like you don't want to want this guy, but like everyone should like every GM should want him. If he's not drafted within the second round, like someone needs to lose their job. It's the theme of the electric young running backs of the day. Ezekiel Elliott, similar profile, Dalvin Cook. Multiple incidents in his past at Florida State, Joe Mixon, there is a theme. There is an archetype here that we're seeing. And on playerprofiler.com, Ezekiel Elliott is Joe Mixon's best comparable player. But when you watch them stylistically, he looks like Le'Veon Bell. So if we're doing a Franken comp, this is not an exaggeration. Now, I understand it's best case scenario just because Joe Mixon comps to best case scenario players. That's just who he comps to. Like, I'm sorry he comps to Ezekiel Elliott. It's not my fault that that's what the numbers say. But then when you watch him play, he runs the ball like Le'Veon Bell. He has a Le'Veon Bell skill set according to the anecdotal analysis. And again, none of this is my fault. He's just that good. Yeah, I mean, when you have a guy who's like 6'1 in almost 230 pounds who can catch the ball, like the clear comp is Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, yeah, it is. Now, another guy that can catch the ball very well out of the backfield, Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey would be the other guy that you would argue is in that class of receiving back with Joe Mixon and with Curtis Samuel. Can Christian McCaffrey be a workhorse back at the NFL level? That's the big question. Uh, I don't know. I, to me, he's a little more of a bigger Danny Woodhead or like a sort of glorified Reggie Bush. Like, I think he has value in PPR, especially as a receiver. So, like, I think he's a guy who's probably going to get his like 12 to 16 touches per game. And a chunk of that is going to come as a receiver. But I, I think he would be miscast as a actual workhorse. Like he could have Jamal-esque potential, but I really don't think it's wise to project anyone to be Jamal Charles. A once-in-a-decade player? <laughs> right, That's yeah. a low-probability prediction? Yeah, I mean, like if I'm thinking of a workhorse, like a guy has to be, in general, just over 200 pounds. But what about those 337 carries, Matthew? The 337 carries. Don't forget about the 337 carries. Don't forget he almost reached 400 touches in 2015. Let's not forget that. Uh, I mean, yeah, but Danny Woodhead did that too, like almost every college of season. Yeah, Duke Johnson is the all-time rushing leader for the Miami Hurricanes. The Miami Hurricanes. You think they've had some good backs at Miami? You think they've had some workhorse backs at Miami? Their leading all-time rusher is Duke Johnson. What was his role last year? Yeah, he's just he's a pass-catching back. Yeah. It's like I, I like McCaffrey. Like I think he yeah. has potential, I like but him. I'm not willing to pay for that potential. He's not a first-round pick. 
He should have a yeah. first round grade. This is the most overrated draft class I have ever seen. This draft class was sold to be the best draft class since 2014. Sell your veteran players. Get as many 2017 rookie picks as you can in Dynasty. Wrong! This is such a fraudulent class. It's not stocked with NFL-ready uber talents. It's the opposite. We are struggling to find players that deserve first-round grades. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. Like Leonard Fournette, not that he's a bad player, but... He's fine. He's fine. Yeah, yeah. Is he as good as Derrick Henry? No. No. There's a new standard now because Ezekiel Elliott changed the perception of the position. So now we're back to multiple running backs getting selected in the first round. And it doesn't seem to matter if they're as good as Ezekiel Elliott. We just need to pick guys to draft in the first round, even if they don't belong in the first round, even if comparatively the talent level of this class is not what even last year's class was, doesn't matter. Yeah, or even the year before that. Running backs need to be picked in the first round, and we're just going to take whoever's on the top of the stack, and that is irrational. Yeah, it's it's as if like NFL teams have kind of forgotten that like someone like David Johnson was acquired in the third round, and like Jay Ajayi was acquired in the fifth round. Like you can almost always find really quality running backs starting in the middle of the draft. Like you don't need to spend a first or even a second round pick to have a running back who can do what you need him to do. Guess who you can draft in the third round this year? Why don't you tell me? Joe Mixon. I, I mean, yeah, if he's there in the third round, I mean, that, I think that would be pretty amazing. I think he'll go in the second, but you never know. You really honestly, you never know. You never know, but he will be available in the second round most likely, and yeah. that's where the value is. Now, looking at value at the wide receiver position, do you have a late round rookie wide receiver that you're targeting? Someone that's maybe from a small school, someone that you're excited about that you hear very few people talking about? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be, you know, like a self-promoter, but Krishan Hogan, and we had him on a Road of His Radio podcast and interviewed him. What? He didn't, yeah. You had him on the show? Yeah, we had him on the show, interviewed him. It was awesome. It was before the Combine. What? I love Krishan Hogan. Yeah. I did a whole segment on why he's better than Robert Davis. Krishan's the man. Krishan, he's cool. Did he hear my show? I uh, I doubt it. Did he hear me do that whole that whole long winded segment on on that? Uh, you know, amazingly, when I had 15 minutes to talk to him, I didn't spend any of those minutes asking him if he'd heard of my friend Matt Kelly and uh, the segment that he did on him. But um, you know, I can send him an email and be like, "Hey, there's this <laughs> there's this guy you've never heard of." Um, you know, he he talked about you once. Would you like to hear that? Wow. 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 I really am a douche. Oof. I couldn't be more self-involved. Wow. It, it, what were you saying? What were we talking about? I am embarrassed. Krishan. We were talking about Krishan Hogan, the awesomeness of Krishan Hogan. Oh. So, like, I, I don't know if he'll even get drafted, but he I think he has the capability to be, like, uh, at least, like, a Cameron Meredith type of player in the NFL. You know, like uh, like he's like a big body type of guy yes. who I think could function in a variety of ways. Like if you wanted to put him in the slot, I think he could work there. He was actually pretty agile for a dude who's like over 220 pounds. Like that's pretty amazing. Pretty agile? Yeah. This guy is 
He was super agile for his size. An incredible size adjusted athlete, and he was hugely productive. I'm just always worried about the small school big wide receivers Mm -hmm. because they tower over the small school cornerbacks. That's why in the back of my mind, I have a little program running that just sends out, it emits little warnings. Big small school receiver, big small school receiver. Don't forget that's a big small school receiver. So with Corey Davis, there's this little program that's running in the back of my head going, are we sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Sure. You sure, 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 sure about Corey Davis. Maybe if you were an NFL GM, it wouldn't be a good idea to draft a big receiver from a small school in the first round. Maybe that's not smart. Maybe you should hesitate before drafting that player with an early dynasty rookie pick. Maybe, just maybe. So that program is always running, and it's making me just the slightest bit hesitant with Corey Davis. So then I see Krishan Hogan, and I'm like, oh, here we go again, but... This is a guy you can get in the fourth round of a dynasty rookie draft. This is where we should be drafting the small school wide receivers. Yeah, and uh, the thing is you never really have immediate success with the small school receivers, or, or I should say rarely. But, you know, I think of Krishan is the type of guy who can stay in the league his first year. He grinds it out on a practice squad. Uh, you know, maybe he's a bottom of the roster guy, like in year two or year three, if he's on the right team that has some turnover at the top, like he could get a shot, you know, like I, I like having guys like that on my roster in dynasty leagues as potential flyers for year two or year three. Have you seen that he wears the four wristbands, one on each side of the bicep to make it bulge out? It's really cool. I haven't seen that. I, I guess I haven't stalked him to the degree that you have. Yeah, he's, he's really, it's pretty cool. Yeah, he's, he's a good player. He's a good player. Also, strikingly similar analytically to Alshon Jeffrey. Alshon Jeffrey went to a big school, went to South Carolina. It's a very big difference, I understand. But when you look at the measurables and the production, they're very, very, very similar. Very interesting player. Krishan Hogan. What about at the running back position? Small school, fourth round rookie pick, who you're throwing that dart at? I mean, this is a kind of unimpressive year, I think, for small school running backs. But uh, I know you had mentioned D'Angelo Henderson as a guy that you liked. And like, if I'm going to go with a small school running back, I guess it's going to be him. What about Aaron Jones? Uh, yeah, I, I, when I think of small school, I think of below the FCS level, sorry, you know, so, or, or below FBS. UTEP is technically conference USA technically. Yeah. So like, I think of Aaron Jones is still being from like too big of a school for me really to think of as a small school running back. But yeah, like if we're thinking of a guy who didn't play in like a power five conference or something like that. Yeah. Aaron Jones is intriguing. Definitely. But I'm just I'm not really all that hot on any of the any of the like the non elite running backs this year. It's just like I'm not interested. I mean, there are some like Jeremy McNichols is interesting. Jeremy McNichols is sexy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, just, you know, like after a certain range, I'm just kind of not interested in the running backs. Well, D'Angelo Henderson's interesting because if he were younger, I would be very interested. Yeah. But he's 24 years old. Yeah. So it's very difficult to get interested in the Cameron artist pain (laughs) of the small school players. Yeah, I mean that well, that doesn't bother me. The age doesn't bother me. Like Dave 
David Johnson was 24. This is the reason why D'Angelo Henderson's interesting because we do have some of these older running backs that come out for whatever reason at a later age and they do perform well as long as they're athletic and he's athletic. 44840 80th percentile. He's not small, he's not 188, he's 208. Yeah. So he can put on a little weight and be 210, but at only 5'7", he still has an upper percentile body mass index. Then you look at the production profile. I mean, he was a monster producer at Coastal Carolina. Again, I'm very careful because what happened to me last year? Marshawn Coprich. Wah, 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 wah. What did we go? The Cobra. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was all about it. Oh, this yeah. guy's comparable to Maurice Jones, Drew, and it's going to happen. And the Giants are idiots to let this guy slip through their fingers. He's better than Paul Perkins. I still, to this day, Matt, <laughs> back me up on this. For my life, if there was a way to judge these things, that Marshawn Coppridge is better intrinsically as a football running back than Paul Perkins. Like, if it was for my life and I had to pick, I would go up and grab the selection. I would tap Marshawn Coppridge. I would. I just believe he's better than Paul fucking Perkins. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. That's just what I think. Yeah, I don't think I would go that far. <laughs> but Paul Perkins isn't even good. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, when... You're waving the flag for Paul Perkins? I'm not waving a flag for Paul Perkins. What? But I'm definitely not waving a flag for the Cobra. This is just wrong, man. He just needs an opportunity, man. Yeah, uh, he's just not the type of small school running back I'm going to be excited about. God, you just get excited about somebody. Well, you're excited about Curtis Samuel. I am. I was ready to scold you for your lack of enthusiasm at some point in the show, but you've already circumvented that criticism by being legitimately excited about Curtis Samuel. I mean, right out of the box, you were like a rodeo bull. Bam! Curtis Samuel. So, show's going well. I mean, as well as it could be, given that we're the two guys on the microphones. Yeah, it's not going well at all. But yeah. let's just, maybe if we talk about the tight end class, it'll get better. <laughs> yeah, sure. This may be the best tight end class in the history of the NFL draft. Am I wrong? You are so incorrect on this. It is embarrassing. I, I almost hate to say that. What? Have you forgotten about 2010? Easily, without question, easily the greatest tight end class. Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, the Kingslayer, Aaron Hernandez. You have Dennis Pitta in there as like a bit contributor. Jermaine Gresham, and then, of course, Michael Humanawanui. Like, that class had it all. You, you even have a guy with, like, a weird name no one can pronounce. But Gronk and Graham in the same class. So I'd say easily two of the top five tight ends of all time, plus Aaron Hernandez, who potentially could have been a top ten tight end. Right? Those three guys in the same class, like, for all time, that will be the greatest tight end class, regardless of anything else that happens in the NFL. If you were a superhero, your superpower would be to identify hyperbole and extinguish it. Now, contact the show at Roto Underworld. Email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. What would be the name of this superhero for Matthew Friedman? Because I, I, we know his power. I just don't know what the name exactly would be. But his superpower would be to identify hyperbole and make it go away. 
eviscerate it forever. It would maybe be like the wet blanket. Yes, you are the wet blanket. I mean, email us if you have a better candidate than that, but I love the wet blanket. You are the wet blanket. I mean, I came strong with the hyperbole with no perspective whatsoever, no research at all, just saying the thing that sounds interesting as if I've done any research at all, just saying the thing that goes out into the extremes as if I've found some impactful bit of information in my reams of statistics that I've been combing through for years. Not true. Not at all. I just saw, hey, this is a pretty good tight end class. Why not just say it's the best of all time? Why not? I'm just a hack, irresponsible podcast host, and I'm just saying things just to say it. And here you are with real data in front of you an actual working knowledge of prospects from the past. It's just very easy if you just to come in and say, well, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. But we have to admit, this is an exciting tight end class. I mean, there's some pretty interesting tight ends, right? 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 Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's not as if these tight ends suck, but like I'm at the point where I don't get excited about tight ends anymore. When were you excited about tight ends? Talk about the time that you were legitimately excited about tight ends and then how you lost that love and feeling. Like what happened? Okay, so I loved tight ends, like the 2010 class. You know, like I I had Jimmy Graham and Aaron Hernandez from that class. Like I felt like tight ends were glorious for all time. And then after that, you had a class with Julius Thomas and, you know, like I don't I don't remember if it's Jordan Cameron or Cameron Jordan. But like those two guys is like fourth round picks who ended up doing well for a little bit in the NFLs. I'm like, yeah, cool. Like tight end. It's not a horrible position to like to scout, you know. I love this tight end thing. I'm doing well at it. Yeah, and then... Yeah, I get it. Yeah, you're, you felt like you had a groove with the tight ends. You're like, hey, I get tight ends. I can do this. Yeah, and, and then like Austin Safarian Jenkins and Jason Morrow came along and just like oh, ruined it no. for me. Not to mention Eric Ebron is the is the 10th pick mm. overall of the 2014 draft. That killed tight end enthusiasm for me. I'm with you. I mean, I'm just looking for a reason to reignite the enthusiasm and Bucky Hodges. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are some really interesting guys in this class at tight end. Like I'm not going to imagine that any of them is going to do anything as a rookie, but yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be surprising if one of these guys at some point ended up being like a pretty good professional player. You like 20 year old prospects like Curtis Samuel, right? Yeah. Yeah. You like Joe Mixon, right? Yes then you probably like David and Joku. Yeah, I like there's like I'm not going to say anything bad about any of the tight ends in this class. It's just like David and Joku is going to be good. He is. Yeah, it's just like there's I, no joke. It, I like Joku. No joke. <laughs> that was horrible, but it's at the point where like I don't want to waste mental energy on like someone who's going to break my heart later. Like I can take it with a, a running back or a wide receiver because like those guys at least have big upside. Like I don't I just don't think of like tight ends as having the upside where it necessarily warrants me caring about them before they're even in the NFL. Like Max Williams, whatever happened to like I I thought Max Williams was going to be a good player. Not at all. David Njoku at age 20 was accounting for 24.6% of his team's receiving yards and touchdowns, 16.2 yards per reception. That's good for a wide receiver. He's only 20 years old. He comes into the league with a 132.1, 96th percentile burst score and a 1030, 92nd percentile catch radius. And what we love with tight ends, size-adjusted agility, 1131 agility score, 80th percentile 
David Njoku also looked the part in a way that I couldn't say about Bucky Hodges, in a way I couldn't say about O.J. Howard, in a way I couldn't say about even Evan Ingram. David Njoku looked like a professional playing with children on the college football field last year. That's fair. I can't measure that. But that's why I am particularly excited about Njoku, and I love the fact that O.J. Howard and Evan Ingram are in this class, and it will push Njoku into the back half of the second round of Dynasty rookie drafts, potentially early third round of rookie drafts, and that gets me excited. Yes, okay, that I can get on board with, actually, because... I think that uh, I, I don't want to be someone who's like going out of his mind and drafting a tight end in the first round, but I do want to get in in the third round or maybe late second round, third round, fourth round, some some guys who do have upside to become starters on a dynasty team. And I do think this class has that potential. Any of the small school guys? Because one of your claims to fame is being first to tout T.Y. Hilton when he was at Florida International, and then you followed it up with someone who looks a lot like T.Y. Hilton, John Brown, when he was at Pittsburgh State. Not Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh State. Is it Pittsburgh State or is it Pittsburgh International? What is it? Yeah, Pittsburgh State. Pittsburgh State. So you were the first to tout both T.Y. Hilton and John Brown. A lot of people think that they're the first ones to tout a certain player. Oh, Matt Harmon was the first to tout Allen Robinson. No, he wasn't. And it's very difficult to track who was actually the first fantasy analyst to tout a particular player. But with T.Y. Hilton and with John Brown, we actually know. It's very easy to track because they're from small schools. The first article for fantasy football written about those two players was written by Matthew Friedman. So he knows small school players. Now, is there any chance, any chance at all, that there's a small school (laughs) tight end that could... Breakout. I this is crazy, but because you're the small school guy, and I thought if I really complimented your work and touted you, that you would find it in your heart to say something nice about one of these small school tight ends, because I'm excited about a bunch of them. I absolutely will not say anything nice about a small school tight end. Like when was the last time that any small school tight end did anything as a rookie? Like, I mean, let's see if any of these guys actually get in the NFL first and can stay in the NFL for two seasons before we say that one of these guys is like the next Antonio Gates or Delaney Walker. You know what I mean? Like, I just like I'm refusing even to look at them. I was about to say Delaney Walker went to a small school, but he also spent four years in San Francisco without being fantasy viable before he landed in Tennessee. Yeah. So I think it's true. It never makes sense to draft a small school tight end in your dynasty rookie draft, but you need to be open to picking them up at some point. Let them into your heart if they start performing and they have an impressive profile. The one player that I think is interesting is this Jonu Smith. I mean, how could you not like Jonu Smith, a guy that was hugely productive and then posts incredible athletic measurables particularly for his size. Okay, actually I do. Although I think like it's sort of stupid to think that any small school tight end is going to do anything ever since the odds of it happening are really low, but we understand. Okay. The probability is very low. It's microscopic. It's non-existent. We have to study quantum physics in order to quantify the low probability of a small school tight end actually becoming useful for a fantasy football team. Go ahead. I'm going with wide receiver 
Billy Brown from Shepard D2. He was 6'4", 255 pounds at the combine. That is not a wide receiver, right? That That is a tight end. And he ran like a tight end. He was in the four sevens, but he was amazingly productive at a small school. Like he was like their, you know, like their stud alpha wide receiver for, I, I think, like most of his time in college. So he's a guy I would actually be interested in if he catches on with the team as a tight end and not a wide receiver. And I don't see how any team could think of putting him at wide receiver. So why was he classified as a wide receiver if they're classifying Evan Ingram as a tight end? I have no idea. Like, I I think it's maybe like a way that they self-identify. Like, I think Ingram self-identifies as a tight end and Billy Brown self-identifies as a wide receiver. I think that's... So Billy Brown's delusional and he needs to fire his agent. Yeah. If fantasy footballers had agents and the agent said, zero RB is dead, you shouldn't be implementing zero RB. Is zero RB dead? Are we in the midst of this RB renaissance, which has rendered zero RB obsolete? Or is this the year to implement it while everyone else has thrown it in the recycling can? I think every year is a good year to do zero RB, assuming that you're in the right format for it. Like one thing to remember is that this was always a strategy that was predicated on a particular format that you were in a PPR league and that your roster was able to have more wide receivers in your starting lineup than running backs. That was always kind of like the foundation of zero RB. But to answer the question more directly, since I know you're into that, uh, I think we are in like a, what do you mean? Cause I'm well, into that. What do you mean? That at, I'm at the top into of the direct show, answers you were, to questions. You, like, hey. you think, you think well, who's not into asking questions and then getting answers to those questions. How is that weird of me? Why is that so bizarre? that I would expect someone to answer the question that I asked, not just go in a different direction and answer a tangential question that had nothing to do with the question that was asked. Because you are the king of not answering questions directly. Yeah. Me? You're like... Right, You're like fair. one of the that's all-time fair. worst at it. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Anyway, to, right. to right. the point. Again, you win the debate. Another check mark in your column. I'm now what? 0 for 4, 0 for 5. Go ahead. I, I, I still like zero RB. Uh, and I don't think you have to be like a strict like purist when it comes to zero RB. Like if there is running back value there that you see, sure, go for it. But I think the main idea is that it is easy to find or easier to find running back value later in drafts than it is to find wide receiver value, right? Like there is always going to be someone like Jay Ajayi in a draft going late who ends up popping and becoming like a top 10 producer. Like it's easier to find those guys at running back than it is at wide receiver. That's why I think fundamentally, even if you don't go hardcore zero RB, you should still you should still like practice the tenets of that perspective. Absolutely. And it's not just in the draft. It's also in free agency. In the draft, you can get Melvin Gordon. You can get Tevin Coleman. You can get LeGarrette Blunt. Yeah. You can get Jay Ajayi. In free agency, you can get Tim Hightower. You can get Bilal Powell. Yeah. There's just fewer of those types of options that can help you win leagues at the wide receiver position late in drafts and in free agency. Now, it's completely different in Dynasty. In Dynasty, I would never think about going zero RB. In fact, I go zero wide receiver. I have implemented Matt 
Friedman's preferred draft strategy, robust RB in dynasty, because in general, there's been a flattening out at the wide receiver position. The wide receiver twos and wide receiver threes on particular teams are receiving more targets so that secondary options are cannibalizing targets from the primary options on NFL teams as more and more teams implement the see it before you throw it mentality, less and less quarterbacks are comfortable throwing their number one wide receiver open or throwing it to their primary option when covered. This is the Marcus Mariota effect. So when you see the flattening across the position, the wide receiver one numbers are down, wide receiver two and three numbers are up. In a dynasty league, the only position that you can actually stream is the wide receiver position. Because in most dynasty leagues, they're so deep, you can't stream running back. You can't stream tight end. You can't stream quarterback, but you can stream wide receiver. That's why my wide receivers are typically incredibly weak in a dynasty context, but it's flipped in redraft. Uh, that That's interesting. I, I, you know, I haven't really thought of it that way. I still tend to go, well, let me say, I, I think I, I probably say that I try to do one thing, but I almost always end up doing the opposite of what I think I'm going to do. So like I would say, oh yeah, like I like going with wide receivers early because they're long lived assets, but off big mistake. Yeah. Often I end up taking running backs cause I see, I don't know. I just, I see value and I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I, I kind of like that guy there. You're an instinctual player. People think of you as this analytical guy. But you get in a draft room and you become instinctual. I suppose. I, I don't know if that – thank you. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I don't really know. I mean so I think what ends up happening is I often will um, – I will go running back and then for like the rest of the, the life of that league, I will hit wide receiver pretty heavy yes. in, the, in the rookie drafts to try to compensate. Yes. Or in the back half of the startup. That's all I'm doing is just – piling wide receivers, piling up the Cameron Merediths yeah. and the Willie Speeds yeah. and the Tyrell Williams. And I just create this giant balloon of potential hits at wide receiver in the back half of the draft. Meanwhile, my running backs are Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon, Tevin Coleman. I can't ever seem to acquire Brandon Cooks in a dynasty league, even though I love Brandon Cooks. I own him nowhere because I think Brandon Cooks could be the number one wide receiver in fantasy in New England. Is that a possibility? Is that in his range of outcomes? Um, I'm going to say no, but I understand what, like, like I, I get it. I, like just the, the pessimist in me isn't going to go there, but I do think it is going to be a dynamic offense. Like I think he's going to be laser light show, laser light show. It's going to be 4th of July every day. Oh, when are the Patriots playing? I don't know. They're playing on 4th of July. <laughs> Every day is going to be 4th of July, every game day. Yeah, I think he will be a wide receiver one, just not the wide receiver one. I think this hurts Edelman a little bit, but I think Edelman is still very important to that offense. I think they're going to be throwing the ball a lot. Like, I think it's going to be the type of thing where, like, it's just oh. like, who, like, why would they even run the ball at this point? I think they're just going to throw it a ton. Their pass to run ratio could be 80 20. I mean, why wouldn't you? That's the rational move if you have that kind of weaponry in the passing game. And you also have great pass catchers. James White's a good pass catcher. Deion Lewis, good pass catcher. Rex Burkhead's a phenomenal pass catcher. I love Rex Burkhead. All purpose back. There is going to be more targets to go around, I understand. But I think that Julian Edelman is 
destined for a target squeeze this year. There's no way around it. The players around him have improved substantially from 2016 to 2017, and he is a diminished player. His efficiency declined significantly last year, and he's 31 years old. I mean, we've seen this story play out before with Wes Welker, and now an explosive Wes Welker has arrived. The dream slot receiver for Tom Brady has arrived. Wes Welker with wheels. Imagine Wes Welker with wheels. We've never seen it until Brandon Cooks. This is why I'm so excited. Do you think Cooks is going to play on the inside? I think so. If I'm the Patriots and I love to funnel targets to my inside player, my inside wide receiver, why wouldn't I funnel targets to the wide receiver that can get the most out of it, that can exploit any particular play to the greatest degree and has the potential of scoring a touchdown every time he touches the ball? It's more efficient to throw a target, all else being equal, to Brandon Cooks. I think that's fair, but I also think... I think Cooks is a guy that they are thinking of as almost like a small Randy Moss. Like, I think that they are going to use him more on the outside as someone to stretch the field and still think of Edelman as that guy who's like the replacement for what they had with Welker. I agree. That's very possible. And if that happens, he won't come close to being the number one wide receiver in fantasy. But we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And there is a chance that they play Brandon Cook's significant snaps in the slot, and if they do, we don't even have any idea what the probability of that is, but if it happens, then that's the case for ranking him at least in the top five. Now, again, we can't because we don't know what his role is going to be, but it's possible, and just that possibility excites me. I'm also excited about what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense is going to look like with Deshaun Jackson stretching the field and occupying safeties for the first time. And for once in his life, Mike Evans may get single coverage. (laughs) Mike Evans was single coverage. (laughs) That's it's all very exciting in Tampa Bay. The cool thing about Tampa Bay is that Deshaun Jackson is one of those few wide receivers who can actually make the wide receivers around him better. Most wide receivers, when they land on a team, because they command targets, they necessarily funnel targets away from other wide receivers. So those other wide receivers may be more efficient, but they get less targets and end up scoring less fantasy points. That's the law of the conservation of targets. Well, even in the face of the law of the conservation of targets, Deshaun Jackson is such a weapon, and he's such an incredible field stretcher, and he's so efficient that he could actually be both productive and increase the productivity of the other receivers in the passing game. I mean, this is why I call him the cold fusion player in the NFL. Nice. I like that. That's absolutely right. Everywhere he's gone, any quarterback, any wide receiver, even tight ends, when he's played with other guys— they all become more productive because of what he's able to do on the football field. So he Pierre Garçon led the league in targets one exactly. year. Exactly. He he occupies safety attention. Kirk Cousins has been a fantasy football QB1 stalwart. Yeah, absolutely. It it will be exciting to see what they're able to do. I think this does more than benefit Mike Evans. I think this also benefits Deshaun Jackson. I think he has a very good chance of having the best season we've seen out of him in at least two or three years. Right. He'll have the second best season of his career this year. He's not going to top 
his best season in Philadelphia, 1,300 plus yards. He's not going to do that. Yeah. But he will have his second best season of his career. He's a bravo. Just thank you. Just everybody. Everybody that made that signing possible. Deshaun Jackson, stand up, Deshaun. Deshaun's agent, you stand up. I don't know who you are, but you are smart. You know, the GM of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Go ahead. Where is he at? Oh, there he is. Stand up. Thank you. <laughs> yes, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for doing that. That was tremendous what you all did. That was Jameis Winston, top three in the NFL in deep ball attempts, but not deep ball completion percentage. He really needed Deshaun Jackson. Oh, Jameis Winston, stand up. Everybody, just, this is just fantastic. On the other side, there's Kenny Stills, also a field stretcher, the second best field stretcher in this free agent class. But sadly, he went back to the Miami Dolphins where he has an impact, but because their quarterback is Ryan Tannehill, he can never have that great of an impact. I mean, nothing truly great can ever happen in the context of the Miami Dolphins offense. But is it possible? Think this through with me. Just think it through for a moment. Just think creatively. Use your imagination just for a moment, because it sounds ridiculous what I'm about to say. But consider it for a moment. Is it possible that Kenny Stills is more valuable than Jarvis Landry in real football terms? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to say no. I think it maybe has to do with just the way that they are used within that offense. So I think Landry is probably a top five slot receiver. I don't think Stills is a top five burner in the league. You know, for what Tannehill needs, like, I think he's better with Landry. It's not to say that Stills is bad, and, and it's too bad that Stills is on that team. Like, it would have been wonderful if Stills had stayed with the Saints. Like, that that would have been a, a great oh, a great fit yeah. for him just in terms of, like, long-term yes. career move. Yeah, it's a bummer to see him paired with Ryan Tannehill, one of the great overrated quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. Here I go again with the hyperbole, but I challenge you to find a more overrated quarterback in the last five years than Ryan Tannehill. Go ahead, Matthew Friedman. Use your little historical computer brain for that one try go ahead you know i'm actually i'm with you there i think that's very accurate thank you thank you thank you thank you matthew friedman thank you for that thank you for that now you and i both love tevin coleman if you're starting a franchise today gm matthew friedman who do you got you want tevin coleman you want devonta freeman I think I think Coleman, but like I don't have. I think there was so much early season hate last year for Devonta Freeman as like, hey, like he's not the guy that we thought he would be. Like he was never going to be someone who was getting all of the carries. Like he was always going right? to split with Coleman. At the same time, like it's really hard to look at the production that Freeman had and say that he was like a disappointment. Like he had a good season. I walked away from the 2016 season immensely impressed with Devontae Freeman. Yeah. I think he is a running back savant. To be that successful in finding the nooks and crannies, the creases and crevices that a defense is giving you when you're getting all those between-the-tackles touches that are typically the low-point-scoring variety and getting the most out of them, I think that's incredibly impressive given the fact that he's not particularly fast or explosive. He's absolutely getting the most out of his ability, and that's very impressive. I, I totally agree. He's not big either. He's a guy who who is just sort of like an average athlete, average size, and he's an above average running back. He's like he's like the uh, I don't want to say like the outlier, but he's like the case for people who are like 
there's more to NFL scouting than just looking at numbers. Like he is their guy. Yes, exactly. He is. He is a savant that you could never have imagined what he would become just looking at the athleticism numbers, the production numbers at Florida State. Now, we talked about Dynasty earlier. Who's that guy in Dynasty that you're just absurdly more bullish on than the community and you just don't understand why people don't understand the upside of a particular player? Man, uh, I guess Jay Ajayi. Like, I know that sounds horrible, but like, I think he's... If he's not top five, I think he's a top 10 dynasty running back, but I think he's closer to to top five. Uh, I think what people are underestimating about him is his ability to catch the ball. He was a very good receiver in college. He didn't. I'm raising my hand right now. I understand he had that one 12 catch game against Old Miss, but it wasn't impressive outside of that one game where they took away the wide receivers and they had to funnel all the checkdowns to Jay Ajayi. And in the NFL, has not looked electric in space at all. Yeah, that's that's fair. At the same time, like his receiving percentage is actually pretty good. Like it's up there with like Ezekiel Elliott, Le'Veon Bell. It is actually pretty decent. It's better than people think. Um, on top of that, he was playing most of the season with a very broken offensive line. So assuming that uh, it returns not even to full health, but just better health than it had last year. And like this is on top of the fact that they have mentioned that they want to get him the ball more as a receiver. So you add all those things together. I think he's still cheap. Like I think he's not being valued as a guy who has top five potential, even though he actually exhibited top five potential last year. Yeah, 77% catch rate last year, top 30 in the NFL among running backs. I mean, that's a very good catch rate. And like you said, posted 40-plus catches in his final year at Boise State. You can't dispute that. It's it, it's The numbers are there. The numbers love Jay Ajayi. I mean, I have an irrational dislike for Jay Ajayi. I don't know why I don't like him more. I can't explain it. But the numbers like him. Juke rate, breakaway run rate. He broke a run of 15 yards or more behind one of the worst offensive lines in football, more than 5% of his touches. That was top 20 in the NFL. That was impressive. That's more impressive than anything else that he did last year was the percentage of breakaway runs running behind that particular offensive line. You being so bullish on Jay Ajayi is going to be the reason why I may reevaluate my position and my dynasty ranking of Jay Ajayi. I'm not going to tell you where I have him ranked in Dynasty. We're just going to put that off to the side. I don't want any more turbulence on this show than we already have. Speaking of turbulence, who is the player that you believe is currently in a turbulent situation, perhaps uncertain quarterback play, who could benefit in the next couple months from some positive externalities, someone like Will Fuller? What if the Texans get Tony Romo? Can you think of a player that could benefit from turbulence in the next few months? Someone you might want to buy the turbulence on in Dynasty? I guess in classic Friedman fashion, I'm not going to answer that question directly, but some something that's oh, similar. For Christ's sake. Something that, that's similar. Um, I think Randall Cobb is being highly undervalued. 
And it has to do with the fact. What is the turbulence? I think the turbulence is people are like, okay, Jordy Nelson's going to get all these targets. Devontae Adams is going to get all these targets. They have Martellus Bennett who just came to town. They have Geronimo Allison. As if this is a guy who. So you're basically changing the question to which player's dynasty value is being suppressed because of false assumptions the most. Sure. Yeah. That's the question that you thought I said, even though I didn't say anything like that. My question wasn't close to that. I think I it's maybe within the realm of possibility to interpret some of some of those other things as turbulence. Okay. I actually think I won this one. I think I, I think it's one to four or five. I think I am on the board when we're scoring the arguments. I think I won that one because that your your retort was ridiculous. Go ahead. Why do you like Randall Cobb? Because he's undervalued. <laughs> I, I just I like him because you just think that his target share is going to be higher than people think next. Yeah, year. I think he's getting like what what people did to Devonte Adams last year. I think they're doing to Randall Cobb now. Fair. That is fair. I just got Randall Cobb in a startup, and I could not believe how long he lasted. Just because you have to draft starting wide receivers tethered to great quarterbacks. That's just something you do. And one that happens to be at the age apex that has multiple fantasy viable seasons already on his resume. Yeah. 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 See, that's a guy you don't overthink. The same thing is true with Martellus Bennett. He also has multiple fantasy viable seasons on his resume. And for the first time since Jermichael Finley, Aaron Rodgers has a true playmaker at the tight end position. Jared Cook does not count. And I'm excited about Martellus Bennett. Why is no one else excited about Martellus Bennett? Because last year he was injured for a lot of the season and he looked like a grandfather out there running. I, like, I, like, I think if you had to ask someone what his age is, someone would probably say like 35. Like he looks super old, but he's only 30 years old. So I think it. this is why the eye test can't be trusted because two people can watch a player perform and walk away with completely different evaluations of his explosiveness just based on the subjective film watching. I watched Martellus Bennett last year and I thought he looked explosive. He was top 10 in the NFL in yards per target. He was great after the catch. 397 yards after the catch was second in the NFL because he was catching passes and he was breaking tackles and exploding by defenders. The Martellus Bennett I saw last year is not the Martellus Bennett you saw. That's hilarious. I, and and you might be right, but honestly, by the end of the season, like he, he looked slow. Like he looked like, I mean, he looked like Antonio Gates age out there. Like it, to me, it didn't look pretty, but he's only 30 years old. And, and he has like a history of production. Yeah, I think it I think it's a really intriguing fit. I believe that he was playing through a high ankle sprain last year. He was on the injury report with an ankle sprain 11 consecutive. Yeah, weeks. he was not healthy. I think that's a big part when of it, it. When a player is on the injury report with an ankle sprain for 11 consecutive weeks, spoiler alert, he was playing on a high ankle sprain. You can play through high ankle sprains. This is the great fallacy of the high ankle sprain. The high ankle sprain does not ruin your mobility. That's not a problem with a high ankle sprain. It's just pain. It's a minute fracture where the ankle bones meet the tibula. I mean, that's what a high ankle sprain really is. It's not even actually a sprain. And the stability of the ankle is not threatened, but it's incredibly painful. And some players just don't have the pain tolerance to play on a high ankle sprain. Others do. Well, 
Playing on a high ankle sprain impacted Martellus Bennett's explosiveness. Of course it did. So I love him on Green Bay. And if you don't love him on Green Bay because of some subjective judgment that you made of him running on a high ankle sprain last year, well, you're wrong. And that is Matt Kelly's professional medical opinion. <laughs> Damn it. I, I had it. The judges were ready to turn over the scorecards, and I was about to win that argument, and then he just came in with the dagger, and it was so succinct and efficient use of the microphone. (laughs) You took it down. (laughs) A small fraction of the number of syllables that I invested. This is demoralizing for me. It's been demoralizing in San Francisco as well. But I'm bullish on these 49ers, Matthew Friedman. I am. I know you see me smirking. I see that you see. I see that you see I'm smirking as if I'm not serious, as if I'm saying something that's patently absurd and I know it's ridiculous. It, it, I must be sarcastic. This isn't not. This isn't sarcastic. I know I have a sarcastic face on. This is a sarcastic face. I know it is, but I'm not being sarcastic. There's a chance, right? There's a chance. I know. I know I'm, I'm smirking. I, I know. But there's a chance that the 49ers have a top 20 offense for the first time in a long time, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't rule out anything that has to do with Kyle Shanahan. Um, I mean, <laughs> when the season comes around, we don't really know who their quarterback is going to be. <laughs> we don't know who their wide receivers are going to be. You know, we don't know if they're going to have a committee at running back. We don't really even know what they're going to do at tight end. But yeah, their offense might be okay. They're going to score points. Any of those sleeper 49ers receivers excite you? Yeah, Lord Aldrich Robinson, baby. Yes. <laughs> You're the second person to say that on the show. Your colleague at Fantasy Labs, Adam Leviton, also loves Lord Aldrich. Yeah, Aldrich, he's the bomb. He was great at SMU as a college player. He's a speedster. He has a lot of time with Shanahan, first in Washington and then in Atlanta. So he knows the system cold. I mean, you can say the same thing about Pierre Garçon. Like, he knows the Shanahan system, but, like, I don't know. I, like, I haven't been on, like, the Garçon train for, like, five years. I'm not going to jump on it now. I don't believe in Marquise Goodwin. Jeremy Curley is just, like, a, a league average at best slot receiver. Robinson has the ability to move across the position. I think he's going to surprise some people. He, I don't think he's going to be consistent, but I think he will have some big games. I think there's a chance that Bruce Ellington wins that slot job. Yeah. It takes it away from Jeremy Curley. Bruce Ellington has upper 90th percentile agility score. That's what we want in our slot receivers, the high agility score. The guy I like is Eric Rogers. Eric Rogers is the Krishan Hogan. Yeah, he is. Of the 49ers wide receiving core. He, he is. He is. He was so productive at Cal Lutheran. And then he went up to CFL and he tore up the Canadian Football League. Torched it. Torched it. There are still brush fires in the tundra on the permafrost because of Eric Rogers, what he did in the CFL. Yeah, big and fast. It was a real shame that he had a leg injury last year before the season started because I think he was going to be the guy in San Francisco. It was trending that direction. He had the capability. You know, For me, the big question with him is 
how like so two things one how loyal shanahan is to his guys like how loyal is he going to be to someone like pierre garçon who knows the system who is a veteran and then secondly how is rogers going to come back from his leg injury like you know he he just might not be the athlete that he was before the injury it's possible and we don't know who the quarterback is going to be like you said it could be brian hoyer could be matt barkley either way that's not ideal we saw last year some high-profile wide receivers struggle. In fact, I have a letter. Well, it's not a letter. I have an email from a listener. So we get listener emails. They email rotounderworld at gmail.com. They tweet us at rotounderworld. From A. Robinson in Jacksonville <laughs> writes, why are you laughing? It's so good. What's funny? Why? See, this is... You try to ruin these segments. Every single question, you have some way of either derailing it or trying I'm not, to. I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to ruin it. I love make me lose my concentration. I, I think it's humorous. So anyway, this is a email from A. Robinson from Jacksonville. I don't know why you think that's funny, but I'll go ahead and read it. How much does quarterback play matter for NFL wide receiver production? I'm serious about this. In parentheses, please help. Uh, well, I, I think it, I think it only matters. It like, it matters the way that like oxygen matters. Like it, it matters when it's not there. So like if you're Larry Fitzgerald and it's 2012, like quarter quarterback play really matters. Ryan Lindley's not going to make you <laughs> fantasy viable. Yeah. You know, like if you're Allen Robinson last year, uh, or a Robinson, then yeah, like quarterback play matters. If the guy you're playing with is absolute trash, if you have a guy who's just like league average, like competent, like if you're AJ green and you have Andy Dalton throwing to you, you can survive, right? Because like he might pepper you with a ton of targets. So like if your quarterback is competent and you are an elite talent, you can have near elite production. But if you are maybe not quite elite, if you're just like near elite talent and you have a quarterback who sucks, like it's it's heads or tails. Like it's a 50-50 proposition. You might be okay, and that's what we saw from Allen Robinson two years ago, or you just might totally suck and it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with your quarterback. All right. You're on a roll with these wide receivers. I want to focus on wide receivers. You also were the first fantasy football analyst to tout Willie Sneed. Is that correct? Uh, I don't know if I want to go that far, but I was very hardcore on Sneed for, for two straight years now. Yeah, like I like Sneed a lot. I'm really impressed with your resume as a fantasy analyst. I mean, who has a better hit rate than Matthew Friedman? Oh, there, there have to be tons of people out there who have better hit rates. Under the radar wide receiver hit rate? Who could possibly have a better hit rate than you? You have T.Y. Hilton, you have John Brown, and you have Willie Sneed. So let us know, who's the unathletic, underrated wide receiver who could be thrust into fantasy lineups into 2017? Who's your hit for this year? Let us know. Tell us. Give us the information. We want it. Tell us. Tell us. Tell us. Oh, who is man. It? Who this, is it? So Give it to this us. This isn't exactly what you asked because this guy's a little bit Give more it. athletic than Willie Sneed. I want it. Okay. I want it. Give Th it this is a disgusting answer. I'm, I'm trying to warn you in advance. I want um, it. Give it, give it I don't care. I, I'm a little bit on Marcus Wheaton. I, I know that sounds absolutely horrible, right? And I know it's been like four years since he's been in the NFL and since he was a very good player at Oregon State. But he is an athletic guy. Like at his upside, we've actually seen him be pretty good with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like he's not the first guy that the Steelers have had on their team 
drafted in like the second to fourth round range who hasn't been able to emerge from Antonio Brown's shadows. Like we've seen that before with Emmanuel Sanders, like going to another team. What I think Marcus Wheaton has in Chicago is that Cameron Meredith is intriguing, but I don't know if we can say yet that he's a number one Careful. wide receiver. Careful. I, I like, Careful. I, Hey, he's on my Careful. dynasty team. I like him. Like I like him. Meredith. Okay. I'm just saying, I don't know. This is a safe place for Cameron Meredith enthusiasts. I'm just saying, I don't know if we can say that he's like clearly like an established number one moving forward, right? Like there's, there's the possibility that like he just got on a good run last season and it doesn't extend to this season. Easy, easy. Kevin Kevin White. Yeah. I don't, I don't think uh-huh, we can, uh-huh. I don't think we can trust him. Right. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Kevin White sucks. Correct. Kevin White sucks. Cameron Meredith is great. That's, that's all we need to know. Everyone else, you could take your hands off your ears. <laughs> he didn't say anything about Cameron Meredith. That was bad. Don't worry. Marcus Whedon, 2015, 9.5 yards per target. That was 13th of the league. 17 yards per reception out of the slot. For Marcus Whedon in 2015, that's exceptional. Marcus Whedon suffered a debilitating shoulder injury last year. And like what happens to a lot of players in the NFL when they get injured, they end up getting cut because the NFL loves to dispose of its injured players that aren't superstars. So Marcus Whedon's not a superstar, got injured, and so it's no surprise he's no longer on Pittsburgh anymore. He ends up on the Chicago Bears, and it's a problem because they don't have a quarterback. If he ended up on a team that had a quarterback, I would agree that there would be reasons to have to be a Marcus Whedon truther. I just don't see it on Chicago. Is that fair? That that's fair. And so for me, it's like a it's a game of small edges. So I think that everyone is valuing him as someone who has like a a point zero one percent chance. No, he's not owned. He's not owned yeah. in thirty man deep leagues. He's not owned. Exactly. Like so it's the difference between like a guy who's there on waivers and someone I think should be rostered. That's the edge. And so with him in particular, like he probably won't actually pan out. But if you if you like leverage little bets like that, one of those guys will pay off. And like that's what Cameron Meredith was last year for me. He was one of those guys. No one was really paying attention to really on Cameron Meredith last year. I wasn't the only one. Are you fucking kidding me? No, he's I mean, Cameron owned him last year. Yeah. Yeah. He was he's on my what? He's on my dynasty team, and he was a great DFS play too. Are you kidding me? No, I love Cameron Meredith, especially at the end of this season. He was the balls. The room is legitimately spinning on me right now. I feel like I just took ten tequila shots. This can't be happening. I thought I was the original Cameron Meredith tout. You, you might be. You have enough small school receivers, don't you? You need Cameron Meredith too. Like, I'm not saying I was original by any means on Cam Meredith, but I'm just saying that he's a guy who was on waivers. I saw him and I was like, he he should not be on waivers. Did you write an article about him? Did you do a whole show segment about him last summer? No, no, that that belongs to you. Okay, thank God. Fuck. I mean, give me a guy, Matthew Friedman. Give me one player. Thank you for your kindness, Lord Friedman. Yeah, he, he's your guy. You got Cam. Oh. I'll tell you how this game is played. The player you are looking for is Roger Lewis. That's fair. Roger Lewis 
is comparable to Willie Sneed in terms of athleticism, but he can flat out play football. And I think that he could supplant Sterling Shepard to be the number three option in training camp. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I actually, I really do like Roger Lewis. And one thing I will add to that, or I say a couple of things. So now we'll say three things. One, I don't think it even needs to be Sterling Shepard. Like it could be Brandon Marshall is just toast, right? It could be Odell Beckham gets injured. Like any, any way it works, I think he's versatile enough to come in and play in any of those three positions. Yes. So he has, he has multiple avenues to get production. Two, he was like Snead. He was actually very productive in college, like a an outstanding production resume. Yes, I understand he went to Bowling Green, but he was recruited to go to Ohio State before that. Yeah, he's like a legit talent. Yes, exactly. And and I think this actually dovetails into like the legit talent type of athlete recruited for Ohio State. He pulled his hamstring at the combine. So when he was doing his 40 time, I think it was like a 4.57. That's not actually representative of the athleticism he possesses. At his pro day, he ran, I think, like a 4.46, like in that neighborhood, something like that. So even if you adjust it up a little bit because it was at a pro day, like he's a guy who has sufficient athleticism to do well in the NFL. That was a great answer. You're having a good time, aren't you? So we're talking about these receivers that make us feel like we've had too much to drink and we need to visit the bathroom and just expel whatever is inside us. You're talking about Marcus fucking Whedon, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Okay, this is nausea-inducing wide receivers. And I want to stay right here. We're in it. It's 4 a.m. We're home. We feel awful. We're in it. We're in it right now. We're just going to stay here, okay? We're going to continue to discuss the nausea-inducing wide receivers. Because every year, there is always this guy, this unexciting guy who comes out and is fantasy relevant, is very useful in all formats, and yet everyone feels dirty starting him. No one wants to pick him up. He stays on the waiver wire three weeks longer than he should because it's like, really, really, really? So who's that guy this year? Who's this year's Brandon LaFell if you can't pick Marcus Whedon? If I can't pick Marcus Whedon, yeah, I don't know about that. I like where you're going with Marcus Whedon, and I want more from you. Okay, so one guy I think, uh, and, and this might sound very crazy, but someone on the Bills. So I would say either like Andre Holmes or Walter Powell. Walter Powell, this is the answer. Talk to us about <laughs> Walter Powell. Yes, this is it. Honestly, it's been forever since I even thought about this guy, but he was a small school receiver, but he was hugely productive, like massively productive. He's not a big guy, but like he's just sort of like an all around decent wide receiver. But like he was actually okay in Buffalo whenever they would get the ball to him. Uh, other than Andre Holmes, like they really have nobody blocking nobody. Powell from getting targets. Nobody. And like, I, I mean, how often are they going to be throwing the ball to Sammy Watkins? Like probably a lot, but like, it's just, who knows what's going to be happening with that offense. There are targets to go around. Uh, he's an intriguing guy. Like I could see him being like, 
I don't like you know like Cole Beasley like people didn't want to start Cole Beasley no. even though like at times he was like a like a very good PPR option if you wanted to go cheap like that's sort of what Powell is like if they decide to give him targets and there's no one else on that team who can suck up those targets like Powell could actually be useful and I can't believe I just talked about him no this is what I wanted from you this was it this, I'm I feel like I'm mining right now I just feel like a miner with a pickaxe and I just keep digging like all the other miners have left they've all taken the elevator up but for some reason today i feel like i need to keep <laughs> swinging and that's what we got that was gold walt powell gold but let's start talking about some good players again it's exhausting <laughs> swinging this pickaxe exhausting who is a wide receiver who has the combination of being inexpensive but also having great upside, upside that far exceeds Walt Powell, Brandon LaFell. Who is the most underrated wide receiver in the entire fantasy football community? We're talking about a player who must have fantasy WR1 upside, and he can be had for a second round, third round pick in Dynasty, basically can be thrown into a deal. Yeah, I would say that's Leontay Carew. Um, I, I know he's blocked in Miami and I know he has a really crappy quarterback, but he was fantastic at Rutgers. He's entering his second season. He's big. I mean, not like huge, but like he's big enough. He's athletic enough. And like, it's not inconceivable to think like, oh, hey, maybe they don't throw the ball to Jarvis Landry as much. Cause like Jarvis Landry's like kind of like, he's not explosive, Maybe Devontae Parker continues to be mediocre, you know, like he's buried, but he's the fourth guy up. And if any of Landry, Stills and Parker regress, Carew has a chance to step in. And I think he actually does have sort of like Hakeem Nicks-esque wide receiver one upside. I love it. I mean, he is near the top of the college dominator metric for all time from a Division One school, and that's hard to do. Mine's Jamison Crowder, and I know you like Jamison Crowder because Jamison Crowder was a special teams ace at Duke, and you love wide receivers with special teams capabilities on their resume. And while he wasn't a dominant producer at Duke, when you look at the all-purpose production for Jamison Crowder, this is simply a player who's great at playing football. He's just a good football player. He's hashtag good at football. Best comparable player, of course, a player we just talked about, Cole Beasley. That's interesting. Yeah. He is the number one wide receiver on that team. I know we love the size-adjusted athletes. We are excited about what Terrell Pryor could be, but Terrell Pryor has not realized his potential, and he may never realize his potential. He's already 27 years old. On the other hand, Jamison Crowder is still 23 years old, and he already has some serious fantasy viability on his resume. 12 fantasy points per game last year, competing for targets with Jordan Reed, Garcon, Deshaun Jackson. No more Deshaun Jackson this year. No more Pierre Garcon, a relatively unproven wide receiver on the other side of the field, Terrell Pryor, and Jordan Reed, who is doubtful to play this year because we just saw Jordan Cameron retire with similar concussion symptoms that Jordan Reed has been suffering. Jordan Reed has more concussions throughout his history playing football than even Jordan Cameron so I have serious doubts about Jordan Reed's ability to play football this year at all. Given that, I think that Jamison Crowder is the guy that's going to vacuum up all those short and intermediate targets 
from Kirk Cousins in a high-volume pass attack. That's how fringe wide receiver ones in fantasy are made. Yeah, I I really like that. Uh, I think he's been one of, if not the most underrated wide receivers of the last two years. And I, I can't take credit for like, so Crowder is the type of wide receiver that I like. You have a type and he is Jamison Crowder. Like he is my type, but I actually wasn't on him when he was coming out. Cause he wasn't like super athletic. Like he didn't have a good 40 time. You know what I mean? Like that was something that I held against him. One guy who actually really did like him a lot was John Moore. And uh, so I'm sure that Moore is pretty pleased to see Jamison Crowder doing well in the NFL. A guy you liked in college was Trent Richardson. You also liked Eddie Lacy. You love Alabama running backs. You love Derrick Henry, we talked about earlier. <laughs> yeah. Now, Eddie Lacy has gone to Seattle, but Eddie Lacy's career arc is starting to look a lot like Trent Richardson's. Is that a fair comparison? And if he does end up sticking on Seattle, does that impact C.J. Procise? So I think it's a totally fair comparison and not just because they're both Alabama backs. Like there aren't many running backs who explode in weight like that. And it just happens that they're like the the two guys who have done it most recently and they happen to have come from the same school. I think that's just kind of coincidental. But the parallels are there. Uh, It's just a clinical analysis shows these two guys are on very similar tracks. Yeah. In terms of pro size, I don't think it really impacts much because Lacey, although I think he's been an underrated receiver in the NFL, I don't think he has the skills that pro size has. So uh, I, I think at best, Lacey will be a guy who's kind of like the two down grinder and maybe rotates out and pro size will be the guy who comes in on third downs and then also gets those occasional series. All right. And plus that, that's even taking into account that like he actually sticks I don't know if that's something we could take for granted. Like he might like he might get cut out of camp or he just might suck for the first few games and then the team pivots to pro size anyway. The nice thing about Seattle is they don't have a signature dessert dish, right? They don't have a signature high calorie, high fat content dish. Like for example, Chicago deep dish pizza. That stuff will kill you. Eddie Lacy goes to the Patriots. They have the most Dunkin' Donuts per capita of any city in America. You don't want Eddie Lacy going to a franchise surrounded by Dunkin' Donuts. You don't want him going to a place that serves deep dish pizza. What do they serve in Seattle? Fish. Sushi. A lot of fresh vegetables and fish. That's the place to go if you want to be on a diet and eat healthy is Seattle. So I like the landing spot for that reason. Yeah, I don't know if you can even say that's a hot take because you're talking about like sushi, so like uncooked fish, but like it's a... Oh, Jesus Christ, that's a terrible joke. That's the worst joke in the history of the show, and I'm saying that with intentional, ironic hyperbole because I am with the wet blanket himself, the superhero who has the ability to identify and extinguish hyperbole Matthew Friedman we are going to hit you with the loser game show sound because of that joke and I'm going to pivot to a real question Jamal Charles or Adrian Peterson who you got for me clearly Jamal Charles like I'm gonna go with the guy who uh actually can catch the ball and I still think that when his knee isn't like harmed like he's probably still pretty athletic I don't know if Peterson is the athlete that he once was and I don't think he can catch the ball anyway like we've had 
I, we like we've seen Peterson and it's not good. Like he's slow and maybe part of that was just running behind that offensive line in, in Minnesota. Like that might be fair, but I just, I think Peterson is basically, I, I don't want to say dead, but I think he's done. No, he's dead. Judges. Matthew Friedman selected Jamal Charles. We talked about the Patriots earlier, all those Dunkin' Donuts. Stack ranked the Patriots running backs for PPR leagues. James White, Rex Burkhead, Deion Lewis. Uh, it's tough to distinguish, I think, between White and Lewis. I'll probably put Lewis ahead of, of White, but maybe just barely. But I'm putting Burkhead ahead of both of those guys. Like He's, he's the biggest, but he's also a very good receiving back. I think he can do pretty much whatever New England wants him to do. Uh, I'm, I'm going with him. Like, I think if, if they're going to give the ball to a running back near the goal line, it's going to be him. Like white has shown that he can be very good, uh, in isolated, you know, in isolated games. We've seen the same thing from Dion Lewis, but I think Lewis is going to be a little more of a specialty back, like kind of like just an all around back that they use occasionally. Uh, I think white is going, he, I think he's still going to be a guy that gets the ball, mainly in third down roles, but I think Burkhead is going to be sort of like the all around back that they use most regularly, but I still think it's going to be fairly split. I'm so intrigued by this Patriots offense. Every facet, how do they allocate the roles of the wide receivers? How do they allocate the roles of the running backs? There's so much intrigue. There's never been more intrigue in the history of the NFL than these offensive skill position players. Am I right? Yeah. In the history of the NFL. Yeah, that's not hyperbolic at all. <laughs> right, yes. Matthew Friedman knows how to play this game. I love it. We've done enough talking about running backs. People know Rex Burkhead's old news. He broke out in week 16 last year, guys. We already know about Rex Burkhead. Duh. We need to be enlightened about players that we don't know about, guys. Come on. Don't give me Rex Burkhead. I watched the Super Bowl. I saw James White. So, okay, fine, fine. I know, I know. Like the wide receivers, you want the, the guy that's available in free agency in your dynasty league. That's why we bring on Matthew Friedman. So go ahead, throw a dart at that one unknown free agent running back that we can all add in week four or five and win our league with him. Someone like Bilal Powell or Tim Hightower. Oh, man. So I'm going a little bit off the radar here, but I'm going to say Terrell Watson with the Eagles. And really, and we've actually talked about him, I think, like two years ago when he was in college. Why? Yes, we have at, a, at Azusa Pacific. Yes. But, you know, you look at the depth chart in Philadelphia. Darren Sproles is old and I don't think he's like profiled as a lead back anyway. Ryan Matthews, he has a chance to get cut. Wendell Smallwood, I don't know if I really trust him as a lead back. You don't know if you really trust Wendell Smallwood <laughs> as a lead back? You're just not sure about that? I was trying to be generous. You know, like... Yeah, I'm just not sure. I don't know. I, I'm not... I don't think I can trust him 100%. Yeah, so there's no one there. Like, they might bring in <laughs> someone in the draft, and that's fair, but... Like Watson has the profile of a guy who was very talented in college. He's big. He's athletic enough to be successful in the NFL. And like occasionally it happens like guys like that can hang around for a little bit and then they get a shot, right? Like that happened with like Joyke Bell in Detroit. Like it, it happens occasionally. And so 
it, like I'm looking for a guy who's talented and then a guy on a depth chart that doesn't have any stability. And, you know, are the odds actually good that Terrell Watson will end up like winning a league for people? No, like, no. like they're, they're not good. But he has a chance that's greater than whatever odds most people out there think he has. Now, you're talking to a Terrell Watson advocate. At one point, I was a Terrell Watson aficionado even until he was cut by Cleveland. That was disappointing. That was a sad day. And they elevated Glenn Winston over Terrell Watson at one point. It was very demoralizing. I was incredibly discouraged. I lost some hope. You're reinstilling me with hope, though. I'm going to go out and pick up Terrell Watson and give it another shot. I'm all about trutherdom with my exceptional size-adjusted athletes. Why not? The player that I'm thinking about is not an exceptional size-adjusted athlete at all. But what he is is an agile running back who is otherwise replacement level, but he's on a depth chart that ensures that he will have a role next year, and he is only one injury away from being an RB1 in fantasy. His name is Fitzgerald Toussaint. Did you want me to say something there, or did you just want me to allow the silence to wash over that name? Just let it wash over you. 1069, 99th percentile agility score, well above average burst, average speed. He is the -the under-the-radar impressive athlete at the running back position, and he's the number two back on the Steelers. The Steelers, who had the best run-blocking offensive line that nobody knew about last year. Number three in the NFL in run-blocking efficiency on playerprofiler.com. Why do you think Le'Veon Bell was the best running back in fantasy on a per-game basis last year? Do you think it was all Le'Veon Bell? Of course not. The running back is a symbiotic relationship with the offensive line. So you put Fitzgerald Toussaint or any replacement-level running back and put him in a primary ball carrier role for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's going to be an RB1 in fantasy. Yeah, at a minimum, he will be fantasy viable, right? Like, I mean, D'Angelo Williams was, like, he was dead in Carolina. He went to Pittsburgh. All of a sudden, he morphed into, like, the best running back in the league whenever Le'Veon Bell was Yeah, it was like Voltron. What happened? Yeah. So, that no, that's, that's a very good call. Uh, my question would be whether or not the Steelers decide to get a running back, like a rookie running back. But like as know, of, as of I now, know like, gonna draft he's, he's a guy who... I know. Here's why they won't, though. The Steelers have allocated more cap space to the running back position than any other team in the NFL. Yeah, that that's fair. They might not want to invest anymore in that position. And, uh, you know, what Fitzgerald does have going for him is that... I use the first name basis for him, by the way, because we're, we're tight like that. What he has going for him is... Well, he has a last name for a first name, so it's actually understandable. Exactly. Fitzy is really what we should be calling him. Uh, one thing he has going for him is that in college, he was like an every down back. Like he was, he didn't get a lot of production because I think he was playing next to Denard Robinson, who got a lot of the rushing production there. But uh, he was a guy who was regularly on the field as a lead back for like three years. That's right. His production was muted because of Denard Robinson at Michigan. That's right. (laughs) I like him even more now. Normally, I ask who you qualify for truther status on, but we already know it's Marcus Whedon. I've got more. The ultimate truther status is Marcus Whedon. I mean, you go to a Marcus Whedon truther meeting and you are alone. You're bringing the donuts from Dunkin' Donuts 
and it might be Eddie Lacy just because he's there for the donuts, and he's not actually in a fantasy league, and then you. That's the Marcus Whedon truther meeting. Uh, yeah, it, but the good thing is about that is it makes it really easy to win the rock, paper, scissor contest. So, so far we have Marcus Whedon, we have Terrell Watson. <laughs> Give us another one. I mean, is it um, is it a little too optimistic of me to say Bishop Sankey? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually only being half half joking about this. Uh, I mean, obviously, Bishop Sankey. Tell us why we should still hold on to that kernel of hope that Bishop Sankey could break out. Well, one, I didn't feel I could say Jordan Todman. But two, what Bishop Sankey has going for him is that he's actually a very good athlete. He was pretty productive in a crappy situation and like productive on a per opportunity basis in a bad situation in his first two years. He has Latavius Murray, who just had a surgery in front of him. And Latavius Murray, I think, is a very overrated back. He has McKinnon, who is an overrated back. What? Although this might hurt my statement here. Yeah, I understand Latavius Murray's overrated. Latavius Murray's the most overrated running back in the league. Agree 100%. But you can't say that Jarek McKinnon's overrated. That's nonsense. Don't say that. Don't ever say that here. Ever. Don't say that. I think that's fair. No, but he's not overrated. He was... Underutilized. No, he was betrayed by one of the worst run-blocking offensive lines in football last year. That is the reason why he wasn't productive. That's not a rationalization. That's simply the reason. And I'm not interested in your opinions on Jarek McKinnon at all. I only want to hear why you believe Bishop Sankey could be viable if Jarek McKinnon gets hurt. Because we know if Jarek McKinnon is going to dominate the touches if he's healthy. So let's assume Jarek McKinnon gets hurt. Why Bishop Sankey? Sure, yeah. I, I think McKinnon has done enough in his career to show us that he is no, dominant stop, when he stop. gets the no, touches. No, 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 so, so we can move on to Sankey. So the, the optimism for Sankey is that one, he's a guy who would be getting touches with no one ahead of him on the roster and no one behind him. He literally has a guy named Ham behind him on the roster. The, and I'm, I'm not, is Joe Banyard still on the Vikings? No, no. So, But on top of that, Sankey actually is a very good athlete and he's a good receiver. So I think if you go to playerprofiler.com, you would see that his oh. best comparable player actually is Jarek McKinnon. Yes, it is. The optimism, I think, for Sankey is that he is athletic, very similarly to McKinnon. But unlike McKinnon, he's a guy who actually played the running back position like full-time in college, whereas McKinnon had to make that transition from the, the option quarterback to running back. So I think that's something that Sankey has – where maybe like McKinnon has struggled, but maybe Sankey won't struggle in that situation. Once again, I have been converted. I'm now hopeful for Bishop Sankey. This is unbelievable. I love this. Which it's the it's the most ridiculous thing ever. I like I can't believe I'm actually talking about Bishop Sankey. Because it's the running back position. We've seen this time and again. Look what happened in Tampa Bay last year. You have two, three running backs get hurt simultaneously in the same game. Suddenly they're starting their 
fourth running back. They're signing someone off another team's practice squad, and he's the starter that week. That happens right. at the running back position in the NFL. That's why we're having these conversations. That's why we're talking about Fitzgerald Toussaint and Bishop Sankey, and it's not ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just less ridiculous than it seems. It's not ridiculous at all. It's perfectly rational and understandable to talk about these players because running back depth charts are typically can be very, very volatile. Now, I will get you out of here on a conspiracy theory that I have. <laughs> okay. this, uh, this already sounds good. I want to run this by you. So we saw what the Cleveland Browns are up to. It's been revealed now that they are in tank mode, that they are trying to lose. It's the first time a team has overtly tried to tank an entire season. And I believe that the New York Jets are watching what's happening in Cleveland. What do they always say about the NFL? What do they say? What's the, the cliche that's always thrown around about how things work in the NFL? It's a copycat league. Copycat league. So the Jets see what Cleveland's doing. Aha, I think the Jets are in tank mode. I think that's why they signed former Browns quarterback Josh McCown. If you want to tank, sign a McCown. Start him. Yeah. What does that also mean? That means that they don't want to start the season paying Eric Decker over $8 million. They can save over half that by cutting Eric Decker before June 1st. I believe that Eric Decker is the cut candidate no one's talking about, and he could land on a team like Dallas. I cannot believe you said Dallas. And be rejuvenated as a WR1 in fantasy. I cannot believe you said Dallas. That was going to be my team. They need desperately another outside wide receiver. Des Bryant has never had one that's competent. You can't say Terrence Williams. It would be a great talent configuration to have Des Bryant at X have Eric Decker at Z and Cole Beasley at Y, that would be tremendous for Dak Prescott and that entire offense. And I believe that they would target him if he were made available. And I don't see how the Jets don't make him available at this point now that it's been revealed that they are tanking. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think Dallas would be a great landing spot for him because he also has a lot of versatility with what they can do with, in the formation. So if they wanted to go four wide, he would be a great guy to move into the slot, put Terrence Williams outside, and then you have Beasley and Decker operating in the slot. Like, yeah, I, I and, and Decker, like, he's he's a consummate professional. Like, I think he would be a good presence in that locker room. And like, it, it's like, okay, it's great that the Dallas Cowboys made it to the playoffs and blah, 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 blah. But like, they need some professionalism in that locker room. Like, you can't count on guys who are young all the time to be leading. Like, you need, you need veterans in there who actually act like professionals. So I, I think he would bring that to the locker room. So yeah, I would. I think it would be fantastic if, uh, if he were in Dallas. Admit it. I just gave you a hard-on. Yeah. Because you are the king of not answering questions directly. Talking to you is like, 
is like putting on a nice, well-broken-in slipper. It's just nice and comfy. You don't need to worry about lacing it up. You just slide it on and you start walking and you're like, mm, this feels good. This is going to be great. Like Tom Brady Uggs. Laser light show. It's going to be 4th of July every day. Oh, when are the Patriots playing? I don't know. They're playing on 4th of July. Every day is going to be 4th of July, every game day. Because I don't have to worry about mining material for the outtakes. The outtakes will produce themselves. We are 15 seconds into the podcast, and you're already being disagreeable. You're so much more likable when you're self-deprecating than when you're being disagreeable. You know that, right? Yeah. You know, I'm actually, I'm with you there. I think that's very accurate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew Friedman. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Your old flame, John Moore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> well, you're wrong. And that is Matt Kelly's professional medical opinion. No one wants to pick him up. He stays on the waiver wire three weeks longer than he should. Because it's like, really? 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 That's why we're talking about Fitzgerald Toussaint and Bishop Sankey, and it's not ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just less ridiculous than it seems. A very specific band of dynasty wide receivers from age 28 to 30. Admit it. I just gave you a hard-on. Yeah. I mean, not quite, but yeah. I mean, as, as much as it can happen. Dude, that's the show! Stop talking! We just, that was, that was a wrap! Let it sit, let the joke sit! Do you want to say it again? We can recut it. <laughs> boy yo 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 yoing I think we have that sound effect. The boy yo yo yoing sound effect. I think I stole that from Howard Stern. So we'll use the boy yo yoing sound effect there. That'll be great. It depends on how you define great. That's just a, that's just a food take. I don't even know where I'm going with that. You don't know if you really trust Wendell Smallwood as a lead back? You're just not sure about that? Wow. Wow, I really am a douche. Oof. I couldn't be more self-involved. Wow. What were you saying? What were we talking about? I am embarrassed. That's, that's a very good call. Are we sure? Are you sure? Are you sure sure? You sure 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 about Corey Davis? That's that's a very good call. You're waving the flag for Paul Perkins? I'm not waving a flag for Paul Perkins. What? Show's going well. I mean, as well as it could be, given that we're the two guys on the microphones. This is an exciting tight end class. I mean, there's some pretty interesting tight ends, right? 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being the first to tout John Brown. John Brown from Florida International. Ouch. Was it was it Florida Atlantic? Ouch. No, no. No, who am I? Th- no, that's, that's T.Y. Hilton. Wait, was it T.Y. Hilton you were first on or John Brown? Ouch. I think we should leave that in there. 
No, that requires editing. No, that was in the outtakes. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not letting that actually run in the show. You realize how stupid I sounded just there? I thought John Brown went to Florida International. Torched it. Torched it. There are still brush fires in the tundra on the permafrost because of Eric Rogers, what he did in the CFL. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. The, I, one second, we're going to need to like take a break on, on this or something. I'm trying to look up something. But the so the, the there's a guy who oh my, I can't remember his name. Can we edit this out here? But the so the, the there's a guy who oh my, I can't remember his name. Can we edit this out here? So anyway, this is a email from A. Robinson from Jacksonville. I don't know why you think that's funny, but I'll go ahead and read it. You were really on Cameron Meredith last year. I wasn't the only one. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? No. I love Cameron Meredith. And you are alone. You're bringing the donuts from Dunkin' Donuts. And it might be Eddie Lacy just because he's there for the donuts. And he's not actually in a fantasy league. And you. That's the Marcus Whedon truther meeting. Ouch. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just less ridiculous than it seems.